Chapter 30 The Morning's Young Yet Thomas was inconsolable. Leah wrapped her jumper around her and looked down at him in despair. They had been wandering around the house for hours, trying to find the way back to her bedroom. The wind howled around the tower, rattling the window panes. She looked around the vaulted room, its little cobwebbed windows set deep into sloping walls stained with moss. This was an older version of the house, the old home that she had read about in the book of Victorian poetry. The floorboards were riddled with holes and creaked with every step. The house was playing tricks on her, and Thomas was shivering and fearful. They're sending me away, he whispered, clinging to her hand. I want my mother. His grubby white nightshirt was wet with tears and his little hands were icy. Come on, Leah said, taking him by the hand. Let's find our way back. One last try. She pushed open a door that she had not tried before and found herself in the upstairs corridor outside Kit's bedroom. Leah knocked loudly on the door and barged in without waiting for an answer. Right, she said, enough messing around. Get in, said Kit sleepily, lifting the corner of the duvet. You must be freezing. It was a big, blousy four-poster bed, with canopies that looked as though they were held together by dust. Leah helped Thomas into the bed and climbed in beside him. The bed smelled of sleep and lavender and linen dried in sunshine. Thomas gave a deep sigh and fell instantly asleep. Kit leant across him and touched Leah's shoulder. What happened? We got lost in the old house, looking for his mum. Leah paused. That's not you, is it? Kit shook her head. He's not my son, but I've been minding him for ever so long. I hate it when he misses his mum. It would break your heart. Leah lay on her back and said nothing. I'm so sorry, Kit whispered. I let you think he was my little boy. I didn't mean to lie to you. It's just that I love him so much, and I didn't want you to be frightened. Leah rolled over. The room was dark a nightlight burning in a saucer of water. The canopied bed cast long shadows across the room. I'm not afraid, she said, but I don't know what's going on. Between them, Thomas began to snore. Leah made a sound that was somewhere between a giggle and a sob. Hush now, said Kit, you'll get used to it. She reached over and ran her hand through Leah's tangled hair. They must have slept for a while, because when Leah opened her eyes, the nightlight had burned down and the morning light was beginning to seep around the edges of the curtains. Kit yawned and stretched beside her. She was wearing candy-striped flannel pyjamas. Thomas was no longer between them. They rolled over and looked at each other. Good morning. Under the duvet their hands met and squeezed. Leah was still wearing her jumper that she'd been wandering around the house in the night before.
She took it off. Then she reached over and undid the top button of Kit's pyjamas. Kit held her gaze, mouth slightly open. Leah undid the second button and the third. Kit's nipples were large and dark. Breathless, Leah brushed her fingers over them. She sat up and took off her own unflattering T-shirt. Martha, alas, had not dressed her for seduction. Leah was long and freckled and angular. Her ribs showed, her hair sprung out in a ginger frizz, and her breasts were so small that they were hardly there at all. She looked in the half-light, like a being from an unknown but insanely beautiful race. Kit ran her hand up Leah's flat stomach and cupped it over a small but extremely sensitive breast. Then she knelt up on the bed beside her. Kit was a completely different shape. She undid the last two buttons of her pyjama top and her breasts spilled out, soft and not particularly controllable. Her belly bulged slightly over the waistband of her pyjama bottoms. She bounced, just a little, so that everything shook. The bed springs creaked, the mattress sagged, and they collapsed on the bed in a fit of the giggles. It was a long time before they could look at each other without laughing. They kissed. Kit's tongue was light and teasing. She tasted of spearmint and garlic. Leah unlocked her jaw like a snake, and her hand played around the waistband of Kit's pyjamas. You're perfect. No, you are. Kit was warm and slippery. She lay back, dark hair spread over the pillow, and pushed herself against Leah's hand. The bed groaned. Leah could hardly breathe. She leant over and whispered in Kit's ear. You don't have to do anything you don't want to. But it was too late. Kit gasped and arched her neck. Leah pushed her fingers inside her and moved with her as she came into her hand. They lay back, sweaty and amazed. Do you always come that quickly? Afraid so. You? I wish, said Leah wistfully. I'm hard work. Not everyone has the patience. Kit raised herself on an elbow and grinned. The morning's young yet. Leah woke alone in a crumpled bed and wondered how much of the previous night she had imagined. She could hear the sound of the radio from down the hall. Leah stretched out in the bed, luxuriating. Her mind was a pleasant fog, her muscles were relaxed and her skin tingled and glowed. She rolled over and checked her phone. There were seven missed calls from Martha. Seven. Anxiously, Leah pressed the callback button. Martha picked up before the phone had time to ring. Well, she said, the dead awoke and appeared to many. Martha could be sarcastic when she was angry. Sorry, I'm only just up. It's nearly eleven. Kind of lost track of time, said Leah happily. I don't suppose you remembered to pack my silk knickers. Really? Yep, really. You little floozy. Leah beamed. Everything okay, your end? Pretty much, 
suggested Martha crossly. Apart from your brother being abducted by aliens, remember those guys that came looking for you yesterday? They were from another world. Good news is that they have Ronan and he's okay. Bad news is he's stuck there and he can't get back. You're having me on, right? But, no matter how annoyed she was, Martha wasn't going to tease Leah about something that was so close to her heart. I'm actually not. Let me put you on to Trevor. He can explain it better than I can. Whatever about parallel universes, the notion of Martha and Trevor being in the same room was utterly incredible. Their loathing of each other was legendary. But there he was, on the other end of the phone. Hey Trevor, said Leah weakly. Hi honey, looks like we found him. Seriously? Yes, I think so, and it sounds like he's fine. There was something soothing about Trevor's voice. Emotional fluctuation wasn't his thing. Do Mum and Dad know? They do, or at least Pat does. I was having a beer with him last night when Martha brought the pair of them round to the house. It's a long story. Let me talk you through it. Of all the people Leah knew, Trevor was the least susceptible to fantasy. He spoke to her for a long time, his voice calm and consistent, while she listened in silence, tears streaming down her face. Eventually, he came to the end of the story. That's it, honey, he concluded. It's a strange one, and I wouldn't credit it myself, only I saw them with my own eyes. Those lads were for real. Do you believe them? I think so, said Trevor, for want of a better explanation, and I never did believe that Ronan would do a runner. Me neither, said Leah softly, and she told him how Ethan Blake had lied about taking her brother to the airport. Ronan was here at Carmoyle the day that he disappeared. After that, there's no trace. What did the she say again? That Ronan's business associate betrayed him. So that's got to be Ethan Blake. I think so, though they didn't actually use his name. Their English wasn't brilliant, in fairness. Trevor paused. Be careful, Leah. It sounds like Ethan Blake wants to keep you down there, but I don't know why. It doesn't add up, said Leah. But we do know for certain that Ronan was here, and that he wasn't in the car going back to Dublin. So, if this Ildaho place is real then there must be a gateway near Carmoyle. There might be, said Trevor cautiously. You're not planning on using it though, are you? Damn straight I'm planning on using it. I've spent two years trying to find my brother and now we've finally got a bit of news. I'm not exactly going to sit on my arse waiting to see how much of it is true. Trevor sighed. Martha said you'd want to go after him. You know it isn't safe. People lose their memories and get stuck there forever? Leah shrugged. Nowhere's safe at the moment. How do gateways work? I'm not sure, said Trevor. Most of my information comes from Otherworld. You know, the game I'm working on for Soul Trader. But I'm going to take a leap here and assume that the information is accurate that the world that you experience in the game is fictional, but it's closely based on Ildahuk, which is real. 
got me? Yeah, said Leah. Makes sense. So, in the game there are a number of gateways between the worlds, but they're always attended by a gatekeeper. You can't just wander in and out. The gatekeeper can command a toll, but they're also a secret keeper. They can't tell you who has been through the gate, even if they want to. So, you have to find out who the gatekeeper is. Leah thought that she might have the answer to that one. Hang on a sec, said Trevor. I've got an idea. How are you getting on with your glyph? Leah thought about it. Well, I definitely don't hate it as much as I used to. The glyph might come in handy, said Trevor. See, I can't give you access to the Otherworld files. If I lose the Soul Trader job, I'm no use to anyone. But there's a good chance that the glyph can patch you in. I suggest that you ask it. The attract mode will give you a much better impression of Ildahak than I can. Okay, said Leah. I'll ask it. Can you put me back onto Martha? Martha and Leah talked in low voices about not very much until they both felt calmer. Then, reassured of each other, they ended the call. Leah turned to the window seat, where the glyph sat in pensive mode, staring out over the ruined fields. She blinked. Was it her imagination, or was it becoming less like Ronan and assuming a personality of its own? But the glyph addressed her in her brother's voice. I overheard your conversation and have accessed the attract mode. You can view it on your tablet. Leah sat down on the edge of her bed as Otherworld unfolded itself before her. She had to agree with Trevor. The fantasy landscape and its occupants were far more convincing than anything else of its kind. And yet, it looked like a game, a high-quality digital animation, simplified and stylized. She could not put her finger on exactly why it felt so real. Congruence, said the glyph, predicting her thoughts. It's less about the nature of the details than about how they harmonise with each other. Most fictional worlds are purely imaginary, and imagination tends to leave gaps. Otherworld is true to an original, so the elements of the game are congruent. There is very little dissonance. Have you been there? I am a digital construct, said the glyph bitterly. I don't go anywhere. Leah felt a little sorry for it. You can come with me. In fact, I think you have to. I can't see anything without my glasses. Will your technology work in Ildahuk? The glyph consulted its cloud. That is hard to tell. The level of detail in the game suggests that data has been gathered manually, probably without the permission or knowledge of the she. But players are not allowed to bring any technology into Otherworld, not even a biro. The rules of the game forbid it. I imagine that spectacles will be permitted, but the technology may not work at all, and if it does, it may work differently. In the kitchen, Kit was chopping herbs. The air was full of the scent of rosemary and garlic, with an underlay of fried mutton. She ran her hands under the cold tap before rubbing butter into flour 
mixed in a little milk with a flat knife, scattered flour on the tabletop and rolled out pastry. She rubbed her nose with the back of her hand, leaving a dusting of flour on the tip. The room was cool and smelt of lemon balm. Kit had placed a bunch in water to keep away the flies. From the other side of the table, Leah watched the movement of her hips as Kit lifted the pastry, draped it over the rolling pin and lined a chipped enamel pie dish. She turned and smiled at Leah. If in doubt, make pie. Can I help? Leah asked warily, braced for some form of rejection. This was the moment in her experience when straight girls said that they'd been experimenting and gay girls said that their affections were otherwise engaged. Sure, you can peel the spuds. Let me get you an apron. Kit reached one from the drawer and tied it around Leah's waist. Then she stood on tiptoe and kissed Leah on the mouth. Now I've got flour all over your clothes, said Kit, trying to brush it off. I don't care. Leah turned to the sink, flushed with relief, and began to scrape mud from potatoes. She could hear Kit grinding something, and the room filled with the scent of black pepper. Leah listened to the rhythmic sound of pestle and mortar, imagining what it would be like to have a girlfriend, a proper one, who didn't get complicated and leave. Did you always like girls? Leah asked. Oh yeah, you? Leah nodded vigorously. It didn't go down very well at home. She had been 14 when the modelling agency picked her up, and although she stayed on to finish school, she was on a plane to Milan the day that her exams finished. The official story was that this was a golden opportunity, but the truth of it was that Leah couldn't be in the same country as her mum. Mrs Lawless didn't approve of lesbians. She had softened a bit over time, but not very much. I was lucky, Kit said. My dad was fine with it. I think he knew before I did. Leah took a deep breath. Kit, I need to tell you something. I know where Ronan is. Hang on a minute. Kit put the pie in the oven, dried her hands on her apron and sat down at the table. Go on. I think he's in Eldahach. Do you know what I'm talking about? She could tell by the look on Kit's face that she did. Leah told her about the conversation with Trevor. That's where you're getting the food, isn't it? Don't worry, I know you're not allowed to talk about it. You're the gatekeeper, aren't you? My dad is the gatekeeper, said Kit, but neither of us can talk about it. It's not that we won't, we just can't. Can I show you something? Leah propped her tablet on the jug of mint and played the video clip from Otherworld. Kit watched in silence, her face pale and serious. The attract mode looped back to the beginning. Is that Ildahuk? Leah demanded. Kit nodded, looking panicked. I need to go there, Leah said. I have to talk to Dad. Kit took off her apron, threw it over a chair, and shoved her feet into boots without undoing the laces. Thankful to have something to do with her hands, 
Leah finished peeling the potatoes and put them on to boil. She had a great deal on her mind. The notion of Ronan held captive in another world was one thing. The idea of him in a relationship was quite another. It wasn't about gender or even species. She just couldn't imagine him in love. When Ronan loved, he loved absolutely. It was very rare. His immediate family, Trevor, and the Labrador they'd had when they were young. That was it. All his girlfriends had been so staggeringly incompatible that Leah believed that he sought them out on purpose. Sleeping with women that he didn't particularly like protected him from the hazards of absolute love. She was just draining the potatoes when she heard a scratching at the door. The dog ran in and greeted her ecstatically, pressing his cold, wet nose into the palm of her hands. He picked up a slipper from his basket and did several laps of the table, his whole body wagging. She heard the creak of leather as John Reardon scraped his boots outside. Kit came in behind him and went straight to the oven to check the pie. Smells good. John Reardon went to the cupboard and fetched a dusty bottle and three small glasses. I believe there's a conversation to be had. Kit pressed her shoulder against Leah as she leant over to wash her hands at the kitchen sink. It will be okay, she whispered. Direct questions work best. They sat down at the table and John Reardon poured three glasses of sweet white wine. Turn up, he said, although you wouldn't believe it. Leah drained her glass. The wine tasted of summer and it made her head spin. Have you heard of Ildahach? John Reardon inclined his head. I have. It has also been called the land of the young, the speckled land, the land under hill, the land over wave, and the land of heart's desire. But the name I like best is Ildahach, the many-coloured place. Are you the gatekeeper? I am. My father was the gatekeeper before me, and my daughter will be after. I believe that my brother is there, in Ildahach, and that he is being held as prisoner against his will. Will you let me through the gate? I will, said John Reardon. But you must bring Kit with you to show you the way. <laughs> 